Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You see, if the first son represents the Jewish leaders who profess to be God lovers but never followed through, Then the second son represented the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who for thousands of years had rejected God, but now they had had a change of heart. They were the ones who were actually coming to faith in Christ at this point in Jesus' ministry while the Jews rejected him. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffers. The Jews were God's chosen people for thousands of years. But when Jesus came, he opened the kingdom of God to anyone who would believe. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress says that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God's free gift of salvation is available to you. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. In a moment, we'll resume a message I introduced earlier this week based on a story Jesus told that's recorded in Matthew 21. Jesus gave us parables or stories to help us understand profound lessons about life. And that's our mission at Pathway to Victory as well. We're focused on giving you tools that enhance your understanding of God's inspired Word. For instance, in addition to providing this daily Bible teaching program, I've written a fully illustrated book for the child in your life. Whether you're an aunt or an uncle, a mom or a dad, perhaps a school teacher or a grandparent, there's a little one in your life who would truly enjoy this storybook. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. It's beautifully illustrated, it's engaging, and with 10 lessons, it's intentionally designed to help your kids and grandkids take their next steps with Jesus. Again, the new book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. And remember, because of the active matching challenge in the amount of $500,000, your gift today is automatically matched and therefore doubled in its impact. We're so excited about this opportunity to leverage your gift because these resources will empower us to multiply our impact next year two times over. Imagine unleashing this arsenal on pushing back the forces of evil and reaching more people with the gospel than ever before. Now, it's time to get started with today's study of God's Word. Let's turn to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21. I titled today's message, The Other Story About the Two Sons. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We're continuing our series in the parables, and as we do, I thought it was uh, appropriate today that we choose the parable about the father that had the two sons. Remember that parable? Let's look at the first son, first of all, in verse 28. A man had two sons, and he came to the first son and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he didn't go. Now, obviously, this first son represented the religious leaders to whom Jesus was speaking. They were people who appeared to be followers of God. They said all of the right things but they had rejected the most basic commandment of God, and that is to trust in Christ as Messiah. Outwardly, they gave every evidence of being a believer, but inwardly, they were unbelievers. 
And this leads to the theme of this parable I want you to write down on your outline. And it is simply this. Professions of faith without expressions of faith mean there is no possession of faith. See, this first son is one who outwardly said all of the right things, but he didn't follow through on the commitment that he made. I'd like to um, just point out here in this command in Matthew chapter 21, four principles I see in this first son's command. Son, go work today in the vineyard. First of all, Jesus reminds us that God has given every one of us, every Christian, a job to perform. Go work today in the vineyard. Principle number two, our main work is to perform God's work. We've got our work to do, and our main work is to do God's work. Now, in the past, I've talked about your work and your vocation. And remember, I preached a message a few months ago in which I said, your vocation, whatever it is, has meaning and purpose to it. You don't have to receive your paycheck from the church to have a profession that is meaningful to God. God has a work for each one of us to do. Now, I'm not backtracking on that at all. But what I am saying is, regardless of where our paycheck comes from, we should never forget that our main assignment is to do God's work. And so that nobody forgets what that work is, Jesus told us in Matthew 28 what that work is. He said, you are to go into all the world and make disciples. That is the main reason we are here on earth. The reason God doesn't rapture us the moment we are saved, the reason he has left us here is to make disciples. That is to introduce people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and to help them grow in their relationship with him. That's why we're here. That's the great commission. And do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, every person you introduce to Jesus Christ loosens the grip just a little bit that Satan has on this world. And that's our job, to loosen Satan's stranglehold on this world, to soften the ground as we prepare for the arrival of our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, who will deliver the kingdom of this world and make it once again the kingdom of God. Our job is to introduce people to Christ. We are to be working in God's vineyard. Son, go work today in the vineyard. Now, admittedly, fewer and fewer Christians really believe that this is their primary work in the world. Did you see the article in the Dallas Morning News by Christine Wicker? And she was talking about the decline in baptisms among Southern Baptists. And not only among Southern Baptists, how fewer and fewer churches are really busy winning people to faith in Christ. And she said one reason for that is fewer and fewer Christians really believe there's only one way to heaven. Many Christians believe, well, surely there has to be another way to heaven besides faith in Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, if that heresy ever seeps into a church, it will kill evangelism in the church. What I'm saying is our main work is to do God's work. And God's work is to introduce people to Christ. Our main work is to perform God's work. Third, our work is the result of our relationship to God. Our work is the result of our relationship to God. 
Notice in this parable, he doesn't go to some stranger and pick him off, up off the street and say, stranger, go work in my vineyard today. No, he goes to his own son. He says, son, you go and work in my vineyard. He said, son, in light of everything that I've done for you in the past, in light of all of the inheritance that is going to be yours in the future, you have an obligation to work in my vineyard. And the same is true of us. The reason we're to do God's work is, first of all, because what God has already done for us in saving us. 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know you're not your own? You've been redeemed with a price. In light of what God's done for us in the past, but also in the light of all that is going to belong to us in the future. Because of our eternal inheritance, we have an obligation to work, to do God's work. Just imagine that your mom and dad have spent their lives building a family business, a business they intend to leave to you one day. Your parents are getting advanced in years, and one day your dad calls you and says, you know, we're getting older, and we really could use some help, and I know you have your own family responsibilities and work responsibilities, but do you think you could just spend one day a week and help us in the family business? You say, sure, Dad, I'd be happy to help you. And you have every intention of doing that. But your own work responsibilities, the pull of your own family, keep you from following through on that commitment. One day you receive the phone call that your dad has passed away. And so you travel to the office that your dad had for so many years where he ran the family business. And to your disappointment, you discover that what had once been a thriving enterprise had now shriveled up into nothing. You're filled with regret. You thought, if only I had done what my father had asked me to do, this business would still be a success today. The Bible says, folks, one day, everything that belongs to God is going to belong to us. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We've got a great inheritance that awaits us in heaven one day, and I don't understand everything that means. But what I do understand is this. Our effort or our lack of effort in this life in doing God's work will profoundly affect the size of our inheritance. It is our relationship to God that obligates us to do His work. And number four, our work should begin today. Our work should begin today. Notice again in verse 28, he says, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I've always thought it was ironic that we human beings who the Bible says are just like vapors that appear for a little while and then they vanish, we tend to squander time. But God who is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, he values time. Uh, To us, time is limitless. To God, time is invaluable. For us who are human beings, the most opportune time to begin doing something is tomorrow. For God, the most opportune time to begin is today. Isn't that what the Word of God says over and over again? God says today. In Hebrews 3.18, He says, But encourage one another all the more while it is still called today. Or Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The father is saying to the son, Today, son, go work in the vineyard. 
Our work, whatever it is, is to begin today. The first son said, I'll go, Father, but he didn't follow through on that commitment. But now look at the second son, verse 30. And the father came to the second son and said the same thing, but he answered and he said, I will not go. Yet afterward, he regretted it and he went. We don't know the reason, but he had some feeling of rebellion in his heart, some defiance in his heart, and he said to his father, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. But later on, he had a change of heart and he said, I'll obey. I'll go work in the vineyard. Look at verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, this isn't a trick question. (laughs) You've heard the story of the two sons. One said, I will go, but never followed through. The second said, I will not go, but had a change of heart and did go work in the vineyard. Which one did the will of the father? And the people said, the latter. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and the harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you do. You see, if the first son represents the Jewish leaders who profess to be God lovers but never followed through, then the second son represented the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who for thousands of years had rejected God, but now they had had a change of heart. They were the ones who were actually coming to faith in Christ at this point in Jesus' ministry while the Jews rejected him. And Jesus said to the Jews, it is these who initially rejected me and are coming to me that are going to be in the kingdom of God before you. What's the application of this message? Look at verse 32. Jesus said, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax gatherers and the harlots did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe. I think this parable has two specific applications. First of all, for non-Christians. For non-Christians. There are some of you listening to the message today. You're far off from God And you're hesitant to believe God could really forgive you of your sins. You're thinking, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. God could never forgive me. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, even if you are on the bottom rung, even if you are in the category of a prostitute and a cheat, the prostitute, the cheat, the murderer, the fornicator, the homosexual, who trusts in Christ as his Savior, is more holy in God's eyes than a religious person who never confesses his need for forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you are tempted to think that your sin is too great to be forgiven, remember this. The reason God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross was not for those little sins of yours. It was for those gigantic sins of ours that we do not believe God can forgive. That's why Christ came to die for you. No one is beyond the realm of God's forgiveness. In Isaiah 1 verse 18, remember what God said? Come, let us reason together, says the Lord of hosts. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them as wool. But I believe the primary application of this message really isn't for non-Christians. I believe it's for Christians. Will you notice again the second son? 
It's so easy, as one commentator said, to get hung up on what the first son did wrong and miss what the second son did that was right. See, what the second son did was right was this. Even though he had rebelled against God, eventually he came to God. And here's an important principle. It is not our first response that is important. It's our final response. This first is the second son. He rebelled initially, but eventually he responded. And therein is a great lesson for all of us. Maybe you're a Christian who has wandered away from God. And you begin to think you're too far gone to ever come back into a right relationship with God. Listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter how far you have wandered away from God. It is never too late to turn around and come back home to a right relationship with Him. You see, Satan loves to paralyze us with guilt. Satan loves to make us feel we are too far gone to ever come back to God. Guilt has a way of paralyzing us in every area of life. Maybe uh, you're overweight, you're out of shape, and you think, you know what, I'm too far gone to ever turn this around. Why even trying? So you just give up. Or maybe you're swimming in debt. You've got bills stacked up to your eyeball, and you think, I am so far down, why even try to manage my money? I, I can't do anything to change my financial situation. It's the same thing in our spiritual life. Sometimes we get to the point to think we have gone too far for so long that we can never turn around. But listen to the second son. The second son is saying to us, it doesn't matter what your first response is, it's your final response that makes a difference. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter so much where you are in your relationship with God as it does where you're headed. Jesus is saying it is never too late to start doing the right thing. Wherever you are, you can turn around and head home to God. In his book, Simple Faith, Chuck Swindoll tells the true story of Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was born 200 years ago in England When he was a young boy, his father passed away, and his mother, unable to care for him, bundled him up and sent him to live with some relatives in London. She had planned for him to become a barber, to learn the skill of barbering. But while he was in London as a teenager, Robert Robinson came under the preaching influence of the Methodist evangelist George Whitfield, and he was marvelously saved and later called to the ministry. When Robert Robinson was 25 years of age, he became the pastor of the Baptist Church in Cambridge, England. And immediately, his career skyrocketed like a meteor. I mean, everybody around England heard about Robert Robinson. They fell under the spell of his preaching. But during that period in his life, Robert Robinson fell into a moral transgression that caused him to have to leave his church And he faded from the ministerial scene as quickly as he had appeared on it. Soon people had forgotten about the life and ministry of Robert Robinson. Many years later, Robinson was in a stagecoach, riding to a destination. He was seated next to a woman who was reading a small book. And she kept reading the same page over and over again. And finally, she handed it to Robinson and said, read this. And see what it says to you. He looked down at it, and he read the first lines. It was a hymn. 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Cause for songs of loudest praise. What do you think that means, she said. Robinson tried to distract her and engage in another conversation, but she wouldn't let it go. No, tell me what you think this means. He burst into tears and he said, Madam, I'm the poor soul who wrote that song many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I could regain that feeling I had back then. Ironically, the last portion of that hymn prophesied his own departure from the faith. Remember what it says? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The tragedy of Robert Robinson was not that he departed from God. The tragedy was he forgot how easy it is to return. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. I'm speaking to some of you today who are far off from God. You feel very distant from Him. That distance may be because you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior. There is that barrier between you and God. It doesn't matter what you've done and how long you've done it. There is no sin that is greater than the grace of God. The reason Jesus came to die for you was to forgive you of that sin, the one you're thinking about right now. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Maybe I'm speaking to some here today who would like to receive the forgiveness that God offers you. The Bible says all you must do is to admit to God that you're a sinner. We all are. And then to believe that Christ came to die for your sins, to take the penalty that you and I deserve. By trusting in Him, we can have the gift of eternal life. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The son came walking back to his father, but his father, when he saw him, started running toward the son. And that's what God will do toward you. All it takes is that one step back toward God. He'll come running toward you. Father, how we thank you for the forgiveness you've extended to us through Jesus Christ. Father, today is the day of salvation. Your word says today is the day to answer your call. I pray no one would postpone that decision. Give them the power, the courage to stand up, to stand up coming, responding to your invitation. For it's in the saving name of Christ we pray. Amen. When we present Pathway to Victory, we never know how a prodigal might respond. I was encouraged to hear from a gentleman in New York City. Lloyd wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I grew up in a Christian home with a mother who was a stalwart of the faith. I accepted Christ at a young age, but as an adult, I strayed far from the path. I've made mistakes that are like a ball and chain around my neck and feet. And now I'm asking God to help me come home. I love the raw, unfiltered honesty of this man. He admits that he's prone to wander, prone to leave the God he loves, and he wants help finding his way home. Well, the only barrier that stands in the way of helping people like Lloyd are the resources to do so. When you invest in Pathway to Victory with your generous gift, 
you're becoming a direct conduit to deliver a message of hope to people all across our country, including prodigals just like Lloyd. May I count on you to give a generous gift today? We're in the final stretch of our matching challenge, and your financial partnership at this time is critically important. And because of the matching challenge, right now your generous gift will have twice the impact. We promise to steward every single gift with utmost care, with the ultimate goal of using whatever God provides through you to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. When you give your gift today, I'll make sure to send you the new children's book I mentioned earlier called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. This is brand new, fully illustrated, and you won't find it anywhere other than right here at Pathway to Victory. Here's David to explain the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you both the CD and DVD sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. And don't forget, every dollar you give right now will be doubled by our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. So be sure to contact us today. Again, our toll-free number, 866-999-2965, or you can always find us online at ptv.org. If you'd like to send your donation by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Wishing you a great weekend, then join us again next week when Dr. Jeffress continues his series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. That's Monday, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.